Gente, bienvenido. Welcome to the feature. I've been doing the Mestizo podcast for so often that now I'm force of habit doing English and Spanish introductions. But for those of you that's been a while since you've heard from the feature, the feature is a podcast where we highlight individuals who are doing great work in culture to bear witness to the kingdom, to bring about justice, or to really address a cultural change. And of course, one of the greatest cultural changes that probably I've seen ever in my lifetime has been a global pandemic. And that has been further intensified here in the States with recent protests and riots related to George Floyd's death. And so we have a treasure in Pastor Jose, who you're going to hear more about in a moment, and Pastor Jeremy Barahona, who's one of my pastors at the Brook Church here in Chicago, who are joining me today to talk about how the churches in Venezuela have handled their crisis and how that speaks to our crisis. So, Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Man, thank you so much for having me, bro. I appreciate that. And I think it's funny that you called me your pastor. It's true, but we were contemporaries at Moody. And um, yeah, that just sounds funny, man. But it's, it's good to be here, bro, for real. It's good. It's the truth. It, Jeremy is the first person I ever met in Chicago, quite literally. Even though we're both from the state of Florida, somehow it took being here in Chicago to finally meet each other. It's because we're taking over, bro. That's all. We're <laughs> taking over Chicago. Now I'm just Latinos blaming. taking over. Latinos, yeah. Well, Jeremy, why don't you help us understand who we have uh, with us? He's, he's not literally with us in the room. He's in Venezuela. But maybe help us understand who we're going to hear from in this episode occasionally as we continue our conversation. Yeah, so we're about to listen to um, some audio from a pastor. His name is Pastor Jose Hernandez. He is the pastor of Centro Evangelístico Peniel in Valencia, Venezuela. So the way that I know him, Ricky, is uh, because he was actually my wife's pastor. The first time I met Pastor Jose, um, he was here on a trip. I was dating my wife and he just so happened to be here from Venezuela at a party. Um, we met and um, pretty much he said, hey, man, listen here. If you mess with this girl, I will break your neck. No. He, didn't, he didn't say that. But, um, man, I just got into a great conversation with him. Um, and then I got to hear his heart. Um, he's been pastoring Peniel since 1981. And, man, he's just a wealth of knowledge. Um, married to Pastora Esther Hernandez. And they have one daughter who's grown. And I think they have a few grandkids. But man, just a wealth of knowledge um, with a great uh, a, a convergence of academia and ministry practice together. So that's Pastor Jose. And I, I believe that he's going to be a blessing to this podcast and to all of our listeners. Absolutely. So just to clarify, uh, Pastor Jose is in Venezuela. We had some connections, connection issues with him. So what we did was we sent him some questions and asked him to pre-record the audio. And so what you're going to hear is Jeremy and I are going to talk about the topics as we see them and understand them here in the States. And then we're going to allow you to listen to uh, Pastor Jose's perspective from Venezuela. Again, uh, Venezuela is a very different context. And yet in many ways, a very similar context to the one that we're experiencing today. There is political unrest, there is economic struggles, there is the health of the people to be concerned about with the pandemic, and more and more and more, there are some commonalities between our ministry context here in the States and the ministry context that Pastor Jose is in. And so you're going to hear us talk about 
our side of the story and then hear him. Uh, obviously, he's from Venezuela, so he's going to be speaking in Spanish. For those of you that don't speak Spanish, you have the benefit of, if you use the link on the show notes, you can read a translation of his responses to every question. So, And if not, learn Spanish. It, right. <laughs> get to practicing because you sure hear enough Spanish from World Outspoken material as is. So, so get to practicing. Maybe let's start with this. Jeremy, can you help us understand when we talk about Venezuela and the states kind of resembling each other more and more recently, what is the context that Pastor Jose has been ministering to? And you know some of that history. Obviously, he's going to tell us more in a minute. But maybe help us understand Centro Evangelístico Peniel. What is it like to be ministering in Venezuela? That's a great question. I've actually been able to learn more about the situation in Venezuela since being married um, to my wife. Essentially, Venezuela, for a number of years now, I have been going through a humanitarian crisis. It really started with a change in government, government philosophy. And as you'll hear in the interview, that impacted every single aspect of society, namely the church. Now, what's been going on there is economic uh, facet of the crisis. Um, there's a hunger um, crisis all at the same time. And then you just have a lot of social strife um, in the country. And actually, in more recent years, there has been a mass exodus from Venezuela to different places like Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Chile, and the United States. I mean, maybe even some more that um, I may not be aware of, but that's that's what I know of from what I've heard from my wife, from what I've heard from different stories and what you just read on the news. Yeah. And Pastor Jose has been pastoring there. What you're going to hear is he's going to say 40 years, four decades. And so he has seen the ups and downs of ministry and the struggle. And I'm wondering, Jeremy, you're a pastor now. How has he been helpful to you personally? as you've been adjusting to different varieties of crises that are coming up here in the States? So I've actually been a pastor for four years now, um, full-time vocational. Um, it was actually something that I didn't want to do at first, um, but God just reoriented my life and provided for me to be a pastor in this way. So hang on, you've been pastoring for four years. For, He's been pastoring for 40. For 40. He's got you lapped by 10 times. 10 <laughs> times, bro. 10 times. <laughs> I'm still legit in this game, man. I'm still legit. What Pastor Jose has meant to me is from the moment that I met him, he's just been one to just been quick to give me game, even through apps like WhatsApp. Sometimes I'll send them a message and just ask them questions about pastoral ministry or, hey, I'm in this situation. How do I deal with it? And he's been a wonderful mentor in that sense and with great wisdom, great practicality, but always brings it back to God's word. So that's been real dope. Yeah. And tell us more about your ministry setting. What's going on at the Brook? How have you guys adjusted to the crisis you're in? So the Brook is a church in the city of Chicago on the northwest side of Chicago. If you're not from Chicago, if somebody tells you they're from Naperville, they're not from Chicago. This is actually in the city of Chicago within the city limits. Shots fired. Shots fired. Feels kind of way about it. Man, you know what? The shots are always fired to me. I just moved like four blocks away from the city and everybody from the church is always like, you don't live in the city no more. See? So, so you want to talk. So I want to talk. But I just had to clarify that for my people. Uh, 
<laughs> but yeah, we shifted completely, gone online in terms of broadcasting our worship services. We started a food distribution situation here at the church or ministry at the church. Um, and then we're just doing all of our community life via things like Zoom. And as these different phases unravel in the city, we're going to be starting to meet in smaller groups of 10 people, Lord willing, here in the next couple of weeks. That's great. Well, let's hear first from Jose before we get to Jose. Listen to me talking like a white boy. Let's hear first from Jose. Uh, let him kind of introduce himself. Tell us a little bit about his story. And then we'll talk more about leadership and pastoral ministry in the crisis. Hola, ¿cómo están ustedes? Sí, yo soy el pastor Jose Hernández. Mi familia está muy bien. Gracias a Dios, a pesar de que, bueno, estamos en este proceso de cuarentena. Pero cuidándonos, esa es la consigna. Espero que ustedes también lo estén haciendo. Son más de cuatro décadas eh, sirviendo al Señor en este ministerio porque inicialmente estuve como predicador itinerante, lo que llamamos evangelista, durante siete años. Luego de esos siete años comenzamos el Centro Evangelístico Peniel, mi esposa Esther y yo. Es interesante la historia de cómo comenzamos allí porque, como ya dije, estaba dedicado al evangelismo, predicamos una campaña para abrir el Centro Evangelístico Peniel y en el transcurso de la campaña los compañeros pastores me dijeron que tenía que quedarme porque no se había encontrado un pastor para encargarse de esa nueva iglesia. Así que bueno, ha pasado el tiempo y todavía ellos no han conseguido a otro que, que sea el pastor. De manera que desde el año 1981 estamos ejerciendo el ministerio pastoral en una iglesia que ha sido y es una referencia en la ciudad donde vivimos y donde eh, se desarrolla un excelente trabajo pastoral y ministerial. ¿Cómo ha sido el pastorado Peniel en la crisis? Bueno, realmente han sido experiencias interesantes que nos han ayudado a madurar como pastores y también ha ayudado a la iglesia a madurar. La crisis venezolana ya tiene unos cuantos años. Tenemos que hablar primero de una crisis de carácter ideológica que tiene que ver con lo político, obviamente, donde los actuales protagonistas políticos Estaban tratando o están tratando de desmontar un modelo capitalista, digámoslo así, para instaurar un modelo comunista. Y eso pues obviamente ha traído cambios en ese sentido, en lo que tiene que ver con, con la política, a tal punto que una de las primeras crisis que tuvimos allí fue la polarización de la iglesia, donde nosotros como pastores estábamos como árbitros entre los que simpatizaban con el gobierno y los que no simpatizaban con el gobierno. A tal punto pues que eso trajo crisis y diferencias y no solamente hablando del centro evangelístico penal, sino hablando de la iglesia evangélica en Venezuela. Muchas se dividieron, algunos pastores se alinearon con la idea política del gobierno. Eso eh, fue arrastrando otro tipo de crisis, porque se dice pues que una crisis política generalmente arrastra a una crisis de carácter social. Y realmente fue así, ¿no? Una crisis verdaderamente fuerte que nos condujo también a una gravísima crisis de carácter financiera o económica que se ha convertido hoy en día en una crisis humanitaria. Así que bueno, hemos tenido que trabajar con todo esto a tal punto que hemos venido enfrentando esta crisis de diferentes maneras. Una de ellas ha tenido que ver con las modificaciones de nuestros servicios. Por ejemplo, nosotros teníamos muchos más servicios a la semana, los cuales finalmente se han limitado a dos servicios. Incluso eso también ha traído como consecuencia que se hagan arreglos en relación a los horarios de los servicios. Y bueno, hemos ido trabajando eso. Un ejemplo 
de esto tiene que ver con nuestro discipulado. El discipulado de nuestra iglesia era centralizado, es decir, los discípulos tenían que ir a las dos sedes que tenemos para disipularse. Eso tuvimos que descentralizarlo porque el transporte público se vino abajo de manera pues que la gente no podía trasladarse a los templos. Eh, lo otro fue que los precios de los pasajes en el, el transporte público también se hicieron fuertes de manera que tuvimos que acogernos a tomar medidas pues para sobrevivir a esta crisis vuelvo insisto de carácter político social económico que ciertamente sí ha impactado a la iglesia pero no nos ha dejado sin hacer la obra que el señor nos ha asignado y esa parte es bien interesante porque en medio de la crisis la iglesia ha hecho más que antes de estar en una crisis como esta so you just heard Pastor Jose introduced himself and you heard him tell you a little bit more about his experience of managing a ministry in the midst of a crisis. Now, for those of you that didn't understand, one of the things that I find interesting about what Pastor Jose has gone through is he mentions a kind of flow about how one crisis adds a layer to another and adds a layer to another. And the next thing you know, you're pastoring in a really complex setting. So for him, he says, it started with political upheaval. And I found it interesting that he mentions, you know, one government system tried to install a, a version of capitalism that the other was rejecting. And it divided the church, not just the local church for him in Centro Evangelístico Peniel, but even churches, local congregations were entrenched in choosing one side or the other. And so it started as a political crisis. And he goes on to say that that political crisis gave way to an economic crisis. And that economic crisis gave way to a social crisis that turned into, it evolved into what ultimately became a humanitarian problem, as Jeremy said. And so I find that there's a lot of that that I resonate with in terms of what it feels like we're going through here in Absolutely. terms of our political situation becoming more and more polarized and congregations kind of choosing sides. What do you think, Jeremy? I think our context is definitely way more polarized. And I think a lot of it has to do honestly with the individual access and broadcast Uh, through social media. Now everybody has the opportunity to show what's really going on, give their own perspective, try to gain their own sort of following um, through the perspective, um, through what they're, whatever they're transmitting. So that just adds so much layers to many of the issues that we're seeing here in the U.S. Yeah, he talked about how his church had to adjust at every juncture and kind of change even the way that they, he, he mentioned the way that they did discipleship where they used to do discipleship in a very centralized way, where people came to the church to be discipled. Uh, they were then sent out to continue in their day-to-day -day life and ministry. But what I find interesting about Centro Peniel in Venezuela was as these crises continued to add on like layers of a cake, he talked about how they decentralized their discipleship. It went from people gathering at the church to spreading them out across different times where they might meet at the church or they might meet elsewhere and they decentralize discipleship. And I find, at least in the brook, we've done some of that yeah. where we put more priority. I don't think that we were thinking of Jose when we did it, but yeah. uh, we put more priority. We leaned on the RCs, our real communities is what we call them. It's, it kind of, it's our version of small group, but uh, we've leaned on that and yeah. decentralized the discipleship project to to make it safe, but also to kind of further increase the amount of one-to-one -one interaction. Is that right? Yeah. You know, as, as I was listening to that clip, one of the things that came up in my mind was that in the United States, many times 
our culture of franchising sometimes translates into local church ministry. But when things like this happen for so many churches, and maybe all of our churches to some degree, we struggle to adjust. We struggle because I think in the U.S. so many times there is this kind of cookie cutter mentality. Here's the template. This is the way that you live as a church. And if you don't do it this way, then man, you look kind of weird. Instead of going back to the Bible and saying, okay, what, what is the church? Um, what does it look like to be the church? And how do we contextualize that um, to, to every and any setting at any time? And I think that's one thing that, man, I, I was just super encouraged just hearing um, from Pastor Jose is how they contextualize their church according to what's going on in the country. It sounds interesting to me. From my perspective, it doesn't sound like he's scrambling. Here in the States, I wonder if we're scrambling to try to figure out, well, I know some churches are scrambling to try yeah. to figure out how do, how do we adjust to this? And so what do you think makes the difference between in Venezuela, I felt like they just said, okay, here's what we're doing at this stage. Here's what we're doing at that stage. What do you think helped them to feel steady versus us kind of feeling the, the nature of the upheaval? Or, or maybe I'm reading into Jose. I think I could be wrong. Uh, but it seems to me the more that I've talked to Pastor Jose and listened to this audio, it seems like at least him as a pastor, he is governed more by principle, um, biblical principle than practice. Um, and I think many times in the U.S., um, just in my short time of being in vocational ministry, what I notice is we say we function according to principle, biblical principle, um, but really in many ways, we really kind of treat our practices as law. That's not to say that every practice is right or wrong. That's just to say that we really got to go back to the principle. And I think if, if you have a strong conviction on the principle, which Pastor Jose does, you know what your boundaries are and you also know what you can be creative with. Yeah, give me an example of that. What, what's the difference between being, give me a biblical principle maybe versus a practice that we might have been governed by that we have to now let go of because of this crisis? You want to open up a can of worms, bro? <laughs> Look, man, I, I know that there, if I'm asking that question here, there's definitely listeners who are wondering that too. I think immediately of Acts 2, uh, the end of Acts 2, um, when you see the church, essentially, what are they doing? They're, they're studying uh, the teaching or they're sitting under the teaching of the apostles. Um, they're breaking bread with one another. Um, so there's this idea of fellowship. They're praying uh, together. Uh, maybe I'm, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Maybe I'm missing a few. But if you really look at that model, I think many times uh, we choose template at the expense of those things. Or sometimes even maybe even limit um, those dynamics and the organic nature, those dynamics for whatever reason. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. We're not used to doing church in a way that's decentralized where, you know, we, we don't have to gather at the building. Yeah. That's uncomfortable for us. One of the things that we asked Pastor Jose was about the specifics of ministry, right? So if he decentralizes ministry, what does that even look like? And so let's hear from him as he talks about some of those pieces of decentralized ministry. El Centro Evangelístico Peniel ha sido una iglesia en un constante crecimiento y el ministerio ha ido de menos a más. Es decir, en la medida en que el crecimiento numérico ha ido en aumento, en esa medida también ha crecido el ministerio. 
Al principio, pues, era una estructura muy sencilla, un pastor, una directiva y la congregación. Luego el crecimiento nos llevó a un pastor, un equipo ministerial y la congregación. Y en este momento estamos los pastores principales que lo ejercemos mi esposa Esther y yo y eh, tenemos un equipo pastoral y luego tenemos un equipo ministerial, luego tenemos un equipo de líderes y posteriormente pues está la congregación. Quiere decir que el ministerio ha ido creciendo producto precisamente del crecimiento numérico de la congregación. Ahora, ese ministerio lo que intenta es atender a las personas. La filosofía del Centro Evangelístico Peniel está en una sola palabra que es atención. Y por lo tanto nosotros consideramos que el crecimiento debe ser integral y por lo tanto el ministerio debe ser integral, de manera que se atiendan diferentes segmentos humanos, a los jóvenes, a los niños, a las mujeres, a los hombres, a los adolescentes, en fin. Estamos hablando de un trabajo adentro, sin tomar en cuenta el trabajo que hacemos afuera. Hay un ministerio hacia afuera que lo llamamos Iglesia Hacia Afuera, donde la iglesia está ejerciendo trabajos en las calles para evangelizar, está haciendo trabajos en las calles para orar, como son las caravanas móviles de oración. Estamos en los hospitales llevando alimentos, estamos en los barrios más pobres de la ciudad con las jornadas integrales, estamos haciendo misiones en el área indigenista, en fin. Entonces estamos hablando de lo que se hace internamente para el crecimiento de los hermanos, pero también estamos hablando de lo que la iglesia hace hacia afuera. You know, a lot of times when ministries compare and try to make sense of what can I apply from another ministry, they just take cookie cutter, you know, exactly what they did over there, I'm going to apply it over here, right? And so I'm wondering, you know, how do we translate this, right? So that it's not just, oh, this is what they did, this is what we'll do. And right. so... One of the things that I wrestle with as I listen to him, it's all very inspiring, but at the same time, but what parts of that make sense to bring this way, to pull over here? And one of the things that Pastor Jose said that really sticks out to me there, he said two things. One mm. might be scandalous to some of us, but the first he said that our philosophy for ministry can be summarized in the one single word, atención. Sounds a lot like the English word, attention. And he talked about how they decentralized their ministry by adding levels of leaders, mm. pastoral leaders, ministry board, ministry leaders, lay leaders, right? He's got tons of leaders that can engage the congregation so that there's really focused, high touch attention. Maybe that's something that we can translate to something that we can do here. I, I don't know. I don't know if, if we're capable of that. Yeah, I think so. Kind of going back to what I said earlier, that it seems like Pastor Jose in many ways, functions out of principle. It really, the connotation of um, uh, summarizing the ministry as attention, really what he's talking about is this idea of care. And really what he, what he paints a picture of is holistic care. Um, he uses that word integral. That's the part that um, might be scandalous, right? So some yeah. people might hear René Padilla and that and think, yeah. uh-oh, Misión Integral. But Yeah. It, it, it's worked. I mean, he, he's very careful yeah. to explain what he means there. But just so you guys, those of you that don't know, the word integral is uh, integral or, or, or with integrity. The, it means the whole, right? It's to yeah. say ministry to the whole of a person, to the whole of a family, that we're not just ministering to the elders or the young. We're, we're not that kind of church, right? I, I once, uh, I'll say this to you, Jeremy. I once was interviewing for a pastoral role. 
Uh, this is back before I realized I'm not called to being a pastor. But I was interviewing for, for a pastor. Uh, maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> I'm going to speak it into your life right now, brother. <laughs> Jeremy's getting me in trouble here. But I was interviewing for a pastoral role. And the church that I was interviewing with was wanting to become more multi-ethnic. And mm-hmm. they were really thinking that through because they were in a context that was both white and Hispanic. And during the interview process, you know, in every interview, they ask, well, do you have any questions for us? That's always a normal thing that happens in an interview. And I was with the pastors and I said, yeah, I have at least one question. Uh, Your church is a pretty young church. You know, the Mm -hmm. oldest people you have are young families, couples that have been married for five, six years. And uh, I'm wondering, you know, for Hispanics, it's really important that we minister to abuelo and abuela, the family and the kids, right? Like, how do we get abuelo and abuela in here? And the pastor said, and I'll never forget it, the senior pastor of that church at the time, he said, well, we're not going to change the DNA of our ministry. Like, we're still going to be a young ministry. And I thought, Hmm. I I don't know how you're going to get the Hispanics in here. Uh, But Misión Integral, it pushes against that. It's to say, we're not going to choose a a brand, a generation that we're ministering to. We're, We're trying to do this in the most whole way possible. Right. So I, I got a question for you on that. Yeah. Why is ministry as holistic care scandalous? Well, I think people caricature Latino theology into, oh, that's all liberation theology, right? Mm-hmm. Robert Chad Romero, good friend of mine, wrote Brown Church, recent book. You should go pick it up. He has a chapter where he talks about Hispanic liberation theologies right. and in that chapter. And there's an and in there. Mm-hmm. He, and Misión Integral. He ties those things in one chapter. And it mm-hmm. makes people nervous. They go, oh, we don't want to be associated with something that isn't just gospel. But as Pastor Jose did here, do the ministry of the gospel is to care for the needs of the people, especially when we're in a crisis. At least that's the sense I get. Yeah, I guess growing up in Latino immigrant church, really the application of the gospel is holistic care. In many ways, at least growing up, and this is what I love about because he reminds me of like my pastor growing up. You know what I mean? He reminds me of like that old school pastor who's um, preaching the gospel to you and helping you get a job. Mm-hmm. I think really what um, a lot of Latino churches practice, I can't speak for all, but the ones that I've been a part of is that evangelism really is an invitation into the community of God. And painting that picture of God's care, um, by the way that we care for one another, is integral to our witness. So that's why I wonder why why is that so scandalous? It just seems like that's just the right application for the gospel. Yeah. But I mean, I, I'm kind of baiting you right now. It's just kind of ironic to me that that is scandalous to people. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. This is one of those things that I think Pastor Jose pushes us to think about. I'm curious in terms of how he develops pastors to think of ministry in that way. So I wonder if we could take a second to listen to him talk about pastoral development. ¿Cómo equipar a otros pastores? Es una pregunta interesante porque yo fui formado hace más de 40 años y he vivido varias etapas del ministerio en el sentido de la experiencia ministerial y en la experiencia desde el punto de vista de ciudadano y de circunstancias país. Creo que la capacitación o el equipamiento de nuevos pastores definitivamente tiene que estar muy al tanto de la situación de cada país o de cada sociedad en particular. Muy diferente cuando yo me formé a como hoy en día hay que formar a los nuevos pastores. La teología es la misma, pero la teología pastoral como tal debe ser más inclusiva. Debe trabajarse desde el punto de vista de una alta capacitación sobre temas muy novedosos en el área social. 
y sobre todo en todo esto que tiene que ver con el liberalismo sexual, eh, la familia, sobre todo en el área de la descomposición familiar. Hoy en día la formación de nuevos pastores hay que hacer mucho, pero mucho énfasis en el carácter ministerial, en la integridad, porque hoy vivimos en una sociedad extremadamente enferma y solamente esta sociedad va a ser transformada por ministros santos que verdaderamente desafíen al infierno. Wow. I love how he ended that section with saying, man, we need more ministers that are holy and that challenge hell. Yeah, that line's wild. He goes, holy and with character. Society is sick. And, and I love that he's real careful to say, yeah. look, you got to prepare pastors for their context. So, so mm -hmm. maybe that's how he prepares pastors to be whole, right? To, right. to have holistic ministry. Because... It's interesting. He frames it. He says, when I was a pastor, it was a very different time when I was getting trained than, than it is today. Sure, our theology might be the same, and yet how we apply that theology has to look really different because the social, the societal illnesses are different. There's a literal one in our sense, the right. pandemic, the literal illness. But then we have, he mentioned a few societal things that come up there in terms of the brokenness of family, our confusion about sexuality, and, and a number of other things. But, but he It's interesting that he's tying, we should be training pastors to speak specifically to the woes of society. They should be people of high integrity and character so that they can reflect to society what a whole person looks like. They should be whole so that they can minister to make people whole. At least that's the sense of how I read it. Absolutely. I think that's what we see in the life of a minister. A minister it doesn't live in isolation from the world's problems. If anything, many times the church was at the epicenter of the world's problems, not only because they experienced the world's problems, but also because they bear the name of Christ, which carried a different character in dealing with those world problems. So holiness is essential. Um, and I love how, how he draws that connection, not only in terms of our own personal devotion to Jesus, but also our social um, engagement with Jesus, because it's tough out here. Jeremy, you guys have done a good job of that here at the Brook, and I've been grateful for it. What it means is that even when we gather for church, we don't leave society's sicknesses out on the door, and we're not in church out here critiquing or slamming those weaknesses, mm -hmm. right? The sicknesses of the world are with us, that we, we bring them to bear in our worship, and, and we sing about them, we pray about them, we address them, we speak of them from the pulpit. I, I find that interesting, right? That This idea of Being a pastor of character means that we address directly the sicknesses of the world. And he didn't mean that. The sense that I got was he didn't mean that here in America when we say that everyone hears, yeah, we, we need to slam X, Y, and Z, right? right. We need to preach against X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and he's like, no, we need to address how to heal X, Y, and Z, right? right. And how to make whole the things that are broken. And uh, I wonder what that does. How does that change? our approach to singing, to preaching, to praying, to all the different things that we do together as a community. Pastor Jose is going to tell us how that changed for them, the way that they sang, the way that they did ministry in every different facet of a, a Sunday service. And then we'll talk about what we can do here in the States. Intentar que nosotros podamos enseñarle algo a los hermanos americanos o norteamericanos o, o ellos a nosotros 
Bueno, es algo que es digno de, de análisis y de evaluación, porque ciertamente una cosa es aprender, por ejemplo, de la teología, del evangelio, que ciertamente la iglesia norteamericana ha influenciado mucho en la iglesia cristiana evangélica en Venezuela, pues porque hemos recibido mucha atención de misioneros en Venezuela por, por años, ¿no? Pero estamos hablando específicamente de la crisis que puede aprender. Eh, creo que son situaciones diferentes, ¿verdad? Porque la cultura americana es diferente a la nuestra. Pero sí creo que en alguna área de la iglesia y sus relaciones se puede enseñar algo. Por ejemplo, el venezolano como tal, desde el punto de vista cultural, es muy empático, es muy cercano, le gusta establecer relaciones, el contacto físico entre nosotros es algo muy, muy común, nos caracteriza eso. Mientras que yo veo que hay, sí, en la iglesia americana hay, hay un distanciamiento, las personas no son tan cercanas, ¿no? No sé si me equivoco, pero es lo que yo he visto en mis viajes a Estados Unidos. Y claro, Claro, en una situación como esta, donde viene esta pandemia, donde las personas no se reúnen en la iglesia, en el culto, eh, que era como un punto cercano, creo que los afecta, los afecta más en el distanciamiento. Nosotros buscamos entonces, frente a esto, las maneras de cómo relacionarnos, porque nos hace falta nuestra gente. Ya cuando nos vemos, eh, nos vemos por las redes, que nos hablamos por Zoom o por cualquiera otra de estas plataformas, ya eso genera una gran alegría. Ya la gente por los textos, que nos envían las llamadas telefónicas, insisten, hace falta cuando nos reunimos. Hay esa expectativa por encontrarnos. Yo pienso que si hay algo que proyectar desde el punto de vista cultural es, es ser más empáticos, más cercanos, más comunicativos. Eh, creo que eso, eso es, es importante que deba hacer la iglesia americana. Ustedes dependen mucho de los medios. Nosotros pues buscamos otras formas. Y creo también que esto va a ser bueno, debe traer algo bueno. ¿no? para el desarrollo de la iglesia desde de ese punto de vista pues de la empatía y el acercamiento. ¿Cómo nos preparó esta crisis? Bueno, debo decirles que nosotros antes de esta crisis, nosotros hemos pasado por situaciones muy difíciles, ¿no? Donde, como dije, hemos tenido que suspender servicios, hemos tenido que cambiar horarios, hemos tenido que hacer cambios en, en nuestra manera de enseñar, de, en dedicación de tiempo. En fin, cuando llega esto, pues ya nosotros teníamos un ensayo previo y aunque ha sido fuerte, pero lo hemos sabido sobrellevar. De manera pues que hemos intentado de alguna manera preparar también a los hermanos haciéndoles ver, mire, hemos pasado por aquí, por acá. Son 20 años que Venezuela tiene una crisis constante, política, económica, social, paralizaciones, en fin. Y de alguna manera esto nos ha ayudado un poco. So, so one of the things that, that stood out to me in that section um, is how he gently pulled the observation from our culture here in the United States. Um, and he says, essentially, it seems like people aren't as close. We're, we're naturally a little bit more distant. Um, we're in Venezuela. He said people seem to be way more relational, way more connected, no matter what the medium is. I think that that's true. I think in many ways, the United States and the church in the U.S. has adopted, uh, for better and for worse, this idea of individualism. I think sometimes we deify being an individual, like I need my space, you know, mm -hmm. type mentality. And I think I think it's dope that he essentially said that's maybe one thing that the church in the U.S. could learn in moments like these of what it looks like to actually be relational. In some ways, he hints at the church having a fellowship problem, yeah. right? Where at one point he says, 
you guys depend too much on the Sunday service. <laughs> I've, I've never heard that in my life. I mean, a pastor saying you depend too much on the Sunday service, right? Mm -hmm. To say here in Venezuela, because we've been ministering in a crisis for 20 years, that's what he says, I've been 20 years of this. Yeah. They're just used to looking for additional ways to gather, additional ways to connect, to get connected. And so the fact that they've had to transition to using Zoom or, or Facebook Live for services has not been a big deal because people are used to saying, I miss being with my people. I'm going to gather with my people. The other thing that you hear in the audio is he mentions that uh, the worship, the, the songs that they sing, certain themes have come up as really important themes. Uh, he mentioned the theme of adoration where we recognize. It's interesting how he defines adoration. He mm -hmm. says, uh, the recognition of who God is and the expression of our profound need for his presence. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting that he brings that up because he brings it up in light of the crisis. I almost caught the Holy Ghost when you said that. <laughs> yeah, he says, we need to adore God in the sense we need to recognize we desperately need him mm -hmm. because of the things that are happening around us. Again, what, what I love about Pastor Jose's philosophy for ministry is the church's postures to its surrounding culture is a I'm with you posture, mm -hmm. not an I'm against you posture. Or I'm just for you. Or I'm just for you, right? Yeah. It's a I am with you, right? Mm -hmm. Like we're experiencing these crises together and mm -hmm. we, uh, we pray to our God for us, believer and non-believer, right? We, we pray to God for us that we might receive what we need from him in this time. I find that really interesting. Which I think in many ways, allows the church in the U.S. to kind of get out a new perspective, but a refreshed perspective of the presence of Jesus with us. Um, so many times, I think, because we are a culture driven by consumer relationships, we oftentimes think of God in terms of what we can do for God. And when we don't feel like we're doing enough, many times we feel like, man, we just suck as Christians. But I love how he, even with things like songs and prayer, how he emphasizes the presence of God. And I think that's something that as a church in the U.S., we have a beautiful opportunity right now to really revisit what the Bible has always affirmed. Matthew 28, Jesus said, I will be with you mm -hmm. until the end of the age. Yeah. Um, how many of us take that literally? I'm asking for an amen. Amen. No, no, I, got like, <laughs> I got you. I got you. No, no, but yeah, seriously. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And it's interesting. He said, right in that audio, he says, we've prayed more during mm -hmm. this time than we, we used to pray. It's increased our prayer life. You know, I, I've struggled with that. I've gone in waves of, of being more prayerful as these events have happened, as the crises have come before us. And then there are times where I don't have the words to pray. But I think maybe this is another one of those things that we can translate. One of the things that I loved growing up in a traditional Hispanic church was you could book it. Every Tuesday night was a prayer service. And every Sunday morning before the service, Man. there was always La Ancianitas with a handful of other fellas. Tenía que yeah, you you exactly. couldn't step on stage That's right. and play music unless you got on that bench and get on your knees and pray. You didn't do That's that. Right. That's right. My grandma and my mom, not just playing, they would have got on you. Bro. They would have gotten on you. And, and there's, a, there's a sense to which... Prayer is a part of the regular rhythm. And so even when the crises are so hard that you go, man, I'm not even sure that I can pray. You're, it's it's so habitual at this point. For, can for the I community. add something to that? Yeah. I just thought about this, that 
in the Latino church, at least here in the U.S., and I, and I know this comes from many of the experiences from the motherlands, if you will, you can't serve God any old way. You could theologize that because um, our churches do theologize that in many ways. Like whether that means you're greeting at the door or whether that means you're about to play on stage or whether that means you're going to do an outreach in the neighborhood, man, you had to. You had to embed that mug in some serious prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get checked on that. Yeah, it's part yeah. of being whole, right? Yeah. I think it goes back to what he had said earlier. Uh, he said, atención, making sure that we're paying attention to each other, right? Making sure that's the holding accountable piece you're talking about. Yeah. And then being integral, being gente de carácter, being people of character. Uh, those those three things are probably the three things we can translate that will fortify it. I'm, I'm going to say these are the four lessons that I walk away with. I went from two to three to four. I keep adding here, right? But the first is we need to fix our fellowship problem, right? We need to have more attention and care, and we need more people to do that. Spread the care across more people, right? Mm. So that we're paying attention to one another, caring for one another, being present with one another in our needs. We need to be thinking about whole ministry, right? Misión Integral. Uh, ministry that addresses not just the preaching of the gospel with word, but also with deed, uh, that in these moments of crises that the church would step in to be at the center of the crisis and responding in creative ways. Mm-hmm. And then to do that, the people who, who can do that are the people who are filled with the spirit, who are people of character, people who, who show themselves to not be sick. Yeah. And, and that freaks people out, right? The, yeah. the idea that we would hold the line and say, no, 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 ministry requires that we be whole. That doesn't mean that you have to be the pastor and that we're not talking about ranking here. To, like you said, right. greeting someone at the Sunday service. Yeah, anything. It's about being a whole person in whatever level or rank you are in. As he challenged the church in the U.S., I love how he did it with great care with great gentleness and even acknowledgement that the church in the U.S. has contributed to the formation of the church in Venezuela. We're not the only contributors, but has contributed. And I think even that spirit of camaraderie, of togetherness, um, I think is something that we can learn too. Yeah. Um, that just because I might make an observation about you doesn't mean that you're not my man's. You know, you're not my girlfriend. You're not my family. So I, I just love that posture. Well, we're going long here, so we're going to hear from Jose. He's going to give us what measures of success look like for him and Centro Peñel. And then we'll wrap up talking about measures of success and what we can apply here. I got one more lesson from me that I, that I want to bring out, tease out, and then we'll wrap up. Pero fíjate, me estás hablando de la palabra éxito. Y es una palabra interesante que a menudo la, la referimos. Yo creo que el éxito no consiste en lo que tengo, sino en lo que aprendo. Porque lo que tengo se puede acabar, pero lo que aprendo me lanza a futuro, en una continuidad que me va a llevar a otro aprendizaje. De manera pues que la pregunta sería, ¿qué es entonces lo que de esta crisis nosotros podemos aprender? Si aprendemos algo, entonces hemos tenido éxito. Así, así lo veo yo, ¿no? Y he escuchado a mucha gente por ahí, bueno, esto vino para que uno aprendiera de la vida, Y yo he dicho, bueno, no solamente aprender, sino hacer que ese aprendizaje se convierta en acciones. Lo que creo entonces es que el éxito para la iglesia en medio de esta crisis es lo que estamos aprendiendo para comenzar a vivirlo o a ponerlo en práctica. Y sí, creo que sí, estamos aprendiendo. Por eso dije en una anterior respuesta que vamos a salir fortalecidos. 
Yo creo que como pastor, yo José Hernández, va a salir fortalecido por lo que he aprendido, por lo que he alcanzado desde el punto de vista de la experiencia, de la madurez, el abordaje de situaciones que me van a venir más adelante. Lo voy a hacer con mayor tenacidad, con mayor fuerza, con mayor sabiduría porque he aprendido algo y eso es lo que tenemos que valorar, lo que estamos aprendiendo y ponerlo en práctica en lo sucesivo en esta vida, ¿no? Y bueno, un pastor, ¿cómo mide el éxito? Insisto, eh, lo mido por lo que he aprendido. Mira, yo he conocido en mi trayectoria como pastor a muchos, a muchos pastores, a muchos líderes importantísimos que han logrado éxito, entre comillas, y de pronto se caen, de pronto cometen alguna falta moral y todo se acabó. Es un efecto de la espuma, ¿no? Y hoy está y mañana no está. Eso no, eso no es éxito. Eso fue una circunstancia especial, una buena circunstancia, pero como circunstancia al fin pasó. Yo creo que el éxito se mide en un pastor o en una iglesia en la continuidad, en el permanecer. Por eso Jesús cuando hablaba del fruto, hablaba del fruto que permanece. Cuando tú permaneces, entonces eres una persona exitosa porque te has mantenido en medio de tantas luchas, batallas, han venido contra ti vendavales, ¿no? Y tú has estado firme, has mantenido tu fe, has mantenido tus convicciones. Por eso yo animo a cualquier pastor que su iglesia no ha crecido numéricamente, pero es una iglesia que se ha mantenido en la sana doctrina, es una iglesia de donde han salido líderes a fomentar el evangelio en otros lugares, es un pastor que ha influenciado a mucha gente más allá ya de su congregación. Entonces estamos hablando de un pastor de éxito, estamos hablando de una iglesia de éxito porque se ha mantenido en el tiempo y ha hecho pues que la obra del Señor fructifique y eso es importante. Man, so much in there. I love how Pastor José measured success not by numbers, um, not by social media influence, but he said essentially by what a pastor Or a Christian learns. And more specifically, he unpacked that a little bit. What he meant by that, he wasn't talking about knowledge. He was talking about spiritual formation and really how, how the word and the circumstances that come our way really serve to form us further in Christ. And then he brings up this John 15 image of remaining in Christ, persevering um, in Christ, and says, Hey, I just want to encourage. Uh, the pastors who church isn't isn't as big, but you've been able to influence through multiplication. He's like, I just want to let you know that's a biblical picture of what success is to to remain and to be formed in Jesus. Yeah, it makes me think of you and I, Jeremy. I've had some conversations about this. I'll try to tease it out here quickly. Growth as our closer proximity to Christ, growing closer to the center, which is Christ, mm. not in terms of growth upward, in terms of the increase of our scale of our ministry or anything, but how deeper, how closer are we to the person of Christ personally and how we help others grow closer to Christ, get deeper in their relationship with them. If we've done that, we have succeeded in ministry. And I think for us, as we see the layers of this crisis continue to add as we continue to deal with the pandemic that Lord willing will, will end soon, as we continue to deal with the, the racial tension here in the States, and regretfully and yet thankfully, the death of George Floyd has brought attention to that, focus to that, and there are churches who are responding really well. But as we continue to think of that crisis, may we sing with the people, may mm. we pray for and with the people, and then let's help draw them closer to the one who heals 
all sicknesses, the societal mm-hmm. and personal, that they might know that Jesus can make them whole because that's successful ministry. That's at least what Jose said there. Mm. Well, hey, for those of you that do not speak Spanish, we included English translations. You can find that on the show notes of the episode of the uh, podcast. And as well, you find additional answers to questions that we didn't have here, some questions about the COVID pandemic that we asked uh, Pastor Jose. Uh, So feel free to check that out. Uh, If you want other material addressing cultural change and preparing you for your ministry, feel free to check out worldoutspoken.com for more interesting things. And if you want to know about Jeremy and more of his ministry, Jeremy, how do people find you? Yeah, I have a Facebook. I also have a Twitter. You can look me up. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. There you go. And you can check out uh, both of those. You can check out as well the Brook Church if you want to know more about his ministry here in Chicago. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, Blessings on you. Blessings on you.